All right. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. Uh, If you have one of our black Bibles from the welcome table, it's on page uh, 21 is where it starts. We're actually going to back up just a couple verses. We need to finish where we left off last week. We'll start at... um, at the end of chapter 26, and then we'll, we'll end up a, a few verses into chapter 28 today because those tell the whole story that we're, we're going to read, but the bulk of it is, is Genesis chapter 27. So I'm going to encourage you to turn there, page 21 again, if, if you have one of our welcome table Bibles. This is one of those stories uh, in, in Scripture that makes you realize that the Bible is way more honest than we are about our sin and what it makes us say and do. The Bible is way more honest than we are about our sin and what it makes us capable of saying and doing. And this is the kind of story that would make even reality TV stars shake their heads, okay? This is not something that it's like, we're going to walk away from this and like, ah, these people are so good. They're awesome. We're going to see some serious ugliness here. But if we'll be honest and we'll admit that we could easily play the role of any one of the characters that we read about in this story, then we will be ready to truly learn what it really means to be blessed. So I want to ask God for God's help, and then we'll dig in. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is faithful and true, that it is unchanging. And I thank you that you've given us story after story, example after example, of how you work in the lives of messy people to bring them uh, to yourself and make them whole. Lord, help us understand, help us to see Jesus, and help us to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We have a a, a sign in our house that says, uh, welcome to our beautiful chaos. If you guys know our family, we have four young kids, and and, they're getting older, but um, the house is not getting any less chaotic. There's other signs too, right? Maybe you have this in your house. It says, uh, Lord, bless this mess, right? And, and I don't know what, it's, it's like praying that God would bless our, uh, a meal that's, that's clearly just not good for us, right? Like a fast food, Lord, bless this hamburger and these large fries. And it, it's just like, God, it's, it's a cry for help, isn't it? It's a cry for help. Like just, Lord, help. That's what we need. We all need a sign like that in our, in our living rooms. Uh, Lord, bless this mess. This story that we're going to read, this story is a masterclass on how to wreck your family, okay? It's a giant mess that we are going to see this morning, but this is also a masterclass on the staying power of God's sovereign grace. I promise you, if you pay attention to what God has to say through his word this morning, that you will be encouraged Okay, here's what we need to think about. This is the message that we're going to get this morning through this passage. No matter how bad we mess up our lives, we cannot mess up God's plans. No matter how bad we, we mess up our lives, we cannot mess up God's plans. Only God can bless our mess. You ready to jump in? Genesis 26 is where we're going to start. The last two cha- uh, verses of that. Verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, daughter of Beeri, the Hethite, and Basemath, daughter of Elon, the Hethite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, these verses are going to help set the stage for the rest of the story. The author draws our attention to this fact that Esau's wives are Hittites, 
are uh, Hethites, okay? And, and these, these are Hethite women. The Hethites were the ones that, from whom Abraham bought the cave in the field back in chapter 23. And in, back in chapter 10, we saw that these Hethites were descendants of, of Canaan, okay? So we can call them Canaanites. These are women of the land that God had promised to give Abraham and his descendants, but these women themselves were not recipients of God's covenant promises. Back in chapter 24, Abraham specifically forbid that Isaac would marry a Canaanite woman, and now we're told here that Isaac's own son Esau has married two of them. We've already seen Esau's foolishness when it comes to decision-making, right? Remember the bowl of stew back in chapter 25? Here that foolishness is emphasized in verse 35 of chapter 26. It says, his choice of wives made life bitter for his parents, Isaac and Rebekah. But his parents have issues of their own, and that's what we're going to find out because things get really messy really quickly. Okay, Let's jump in chapter 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could not see... He called his other son Esau and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, look, I'm old and I don't know the day of my death. So now take your hunting gear and your quiver and your bow and go out into the field and hunt some game for me. Then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I can bless you before I die. Now, in the ancient world, a father's blessing was more than just this symbolic gesture. It established uh, who would receive the double portion of the inheritance, who would be the, the next leader of the family. And it was a big deal because it shaped the future of the one who received the blessing. But there's one problem here. Isaac wants to bless his older son, but we know from chapter 25 that God had already told Rebekah before these twins were born that the older would serve the younger. In other words, God had already determined that the blessing would go to Jacob and not to Esau. Isaac is either unaware that God said uh, of what God had said to Rebekah or he's disregarding it altogether. It's also possible, I suppose, that, that he doesn't remember it, right? It says he's old, he's losing his sight. He may be losing his memory as well. The text doesn't tell us one way or the other. What we know, though, is that Isaac is trying to bless Esau, and God has clearly said the blessing goes to Jacob. The text does give us a clue that Isaac's decision is selfishly motivated. Genesis 25, 28 told us that Isaac loved Esau because Isaac had a taste for wild game, and Esau was an expert hunter. He was, he was Isaac's favorite son. And so here Isaac tells Esau, hey, go kill me something and make me my favorite meal, and then I'll bless you. Isaac's desire to bless his older son was driven by his tummy and his taste buds, right? He wants, these, he wants this delicious meal, and then he's going to give him the blessing. His eyes may be so weak that he can't physically see, but, he seem, but it seems like he's also blind to his son's foolishness and to God's wisdom. Isaac is doing exactly what God said should not happen. Keep in mind, this is Isaac, the one to whom the covenant has been passed. Isaac's desire for personal gratification, coupled with his favoritism toward his older son, causes Isaac then to make foolish decisions of his own. But he's not the only parent who, who plays favorites, right? Remember in chapter 25, it didn't just say Isaac loves Esau. It says Rebekah loves Jacob, and that plays into what she does next. Look at verse 6. 
5. Now Rebekah was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau. So while Esau went to the field to hunt some game and, uh, to bring in, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Listen, I heard your father talking with your brother Esau. He said, bring me, the game, bring me game and make a delicious meal for me and eat it so that I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind he loves. And then take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So, Rebecca's eavesdropping on her husband and her older son when she hears what Isaac intends to do. And so what does she do? She calls her favorite son and she tells him what she intends to do. Now it's worth noting that back in chapter 25, when Jacob offered the bowl of stew to Esau, he made Esau swear an oath, remember? Esau's like, yeah, whatever, give me the stew. And, and Isaac's, or, uh, Jacob says, no, hold on, you need to swear to me that you're going to give me your birthright. Remember that? Birthright and blessing are not identical, but they are connected. They're related to the inheritance together. And so it's important to have both of them and not one without the other. And by listening to Isaac and doing what Isaac told him to do, Esau is breaking that oath. Even if he made it in haste with with, uh, Jacob, he's breaking the oath that he made to Jacob. If he gets the father's blessing, then the birthright is useless for Jacob but mom's not going to let that happen. So she comes up with a plan to dupe her husband and to backstab her older son so that her favorite son can get his dad's blessing. It's getting juicy now, right? Let's keep reading. Look at verse 11. Jacob answered Rebekah, his mother, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I'm a man that with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me, and then I'll be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse upon myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Just obey me and go get them for me. So he went and got the goats and brought them to his mother, and his mother made the delicious food his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of her older son Esau, which were in the house, and had her younger son Jacob wear them. She put the skins of of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the delicious food and the bread that she had made to her son Jacob. To say that Jacob's response is a bit concerning, I think would be an understatement. When he hears this crazy plan that his, that his mother has concocted, listen, his main concern isn't, Mom, hold on, I can't believe that you want me to lie to my dad. Right? No, instead, here's his response. Mm, this plan needs some work right? That's what he's doing. This plan needs work. Like, listen, I I can see holes in it. We got to fix these before I go in there. How can we make it better? That's his answer. If I get caught, dad's going to curse me instead of bless me. But Rebecca reassures him that she's willing to take Isaac's curse if it means that her favorite son gets the blessing. And so she has Jacob put on Esau's clothes. She slaps some goat skins on him to make him feel hairy like his brother. She gives him this delicious meal that she made, and she sends him in to talk to his blind father. Are we keeping track of all the craziness here? Let's keep going. Verse 18. When he came to his father... He said, my father, and he, said, and he answered, Isaac answered, 
Here I I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father. Father? He replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How did you ever find it so quickly, my son? Jacob replied, Because the Lord your God made it happen for me. Mm. To say that Jacob's... uh, 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 Sorry, I already said that. Listen. Can you feel the tension in the room there? Like, like, you, you, like, like what's going to happen? Listen, are you rooting for Jacob right now or are you rooting against him? Be honest. It's probably a little bit of both, right? Don't we do that when we watch like these sitcoms? Like there's part of us that wants the bad guy to get away. Is it just me? I know it's not just me. God already chose him over his brother, right? We know this. We're aware of this. And so we want Jacob to get the blessing, but he is going about it in a terrible way, is he not? And so we're faced with this dilemma here. He brought in the meal soon after Isaac requested it, so soon, in fact, that it threw Isaac for a loop. Esau was an expert hunter, but Isaac thought that this was fast even for him. Like, holy cow, sent you out to go kill something and cook it, and now you're back already with it. And so Jacob deflects the question by saying that God made it happen for him. But notice that, that Jacob says, doesn't say our God, he says your God. We saw it, that moment last week when Abraham's God became Isaac's God, but we have not yet seen the moment where God becomes Jacob's God. Jacob is not personally dependent upon God yet but he will blasphemously use his father's God for his own personal advantage. He says it is God who gave him hunting success when in reality it's his mother who gives him a way to successfully lie and cheat. That is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. But Isaac isn't fully convinced, and so he pries a little more. Look at verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come closer so I can touch you, my son. Are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came closer to his father Isaac. When he touched him, he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Now, typically when you lose one sense, your other ones heighten to make up for that, right? So Isaac's eyes are bad, but his ears are good, and he recognizes that something isn't adding up. He says, listen, you say you're Esau, but you sound like Jacob. And so he, he relies on another one of his senses that still works, his sense of touch. He says, come on, come here, closer, let me touch you. I know Esau's hairy, but apparently Isaac can't tell the difference between a goat skin and his own son's furry arms, Okay? Because he's convinced that even though it sounds like his younger son, it feels like his older son. And then the end of verse 23 says, so he blessed him. Now that's an editorial comment hinting at the fact that this ruse is going to work. It's going to happen. And we're going to get to the actual blessing in a second, but first we need to let the rest of this play out. Look at verse 24. Again he asked, 
Are you really my son Esau? Jacob replied, I am. And then he said, bring it closer to me and let me eat some of my son's game so that I can bless you. Jacob brought it closer to him and he ate. He brought, he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, please come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and he kissed him. And when Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow and worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow and worship to you. Those who cursed you will be cursed and those who blessed you will be blessed. Isaac is still somewhat hesitant, but his senses of taste and smell are what finally convince him. His tummy and his taste buds right? Surely he can smell the meal that Jacob brought in for him to eat. And as he keeps coaxing Jacob closer so that he can try to find out if he's really Esau or not, then the smells that are coming from this meal are doing some coaxing of their own, right? And then Jacob leans in to kiss his father and Isaac smells the comforting aroma of his favorite son Esau. Do you have those smells that, that take you back? that draw you to memories of those that you love. Esau was an outdoorsman and he would often cook wild game dinners for Isaac. And so Isaac grew accustomed not only to the smell of the food, but also to the smell of Esau's clothes after he'd been out hunting all day. Took one big deep breath and it all came back. Ah. And Isaac says the smell of his son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Blessed land has fertile soil for crops and abundance. It has, it, for an abundant harvest, it, and it provides its owner with dominion. If you own the land, then, then that's yours, right? And the more you own, the more, the more you rule that area. And these are the things that are reflected in the blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob, an abundance of grain and new wine, fruitful land, and rulership over the nations and relatives dominion. This builds on the promise that God gave to Abraham back in chapter 17 when he said, I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. Isaac's blessing also builds off the initial promise that God made to Abraham back in chapter 12. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But remember, we need to remember this. Isaac thinks he's giving this blessing to Esau. This whole time, we know it's Jacob. This whole time, we see Isaac blessing Jacob. Isaac doesn't have a clue. He's totally fooled, and he thinks he's giving this blessing to Esau. And he's going beyond material inheritance here. He's petitioning God. May God give you these things. He's petitioning God to make Esau the recipient of God's promises to Abraham. Isaac thinks that he is asking this for Esau, but in reality... He's asking it for Jacob, and he does not even realize it. But the blessing that Isaac inadvertently gives to Jacob is exactly what God had already determined would happen before the two boys were ever born. Remember what he said to Rebekah? The older will serve the younger. And the older brother is about to learn that for himself. Look at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived 
from his hunting. He had also made some delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father get up and eat some of his son's game so that you may bless me. But his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Hold on. Who was it then that I blessed? Who was it who brought game, who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all before you came in and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he replied, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And so he said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright, and look, now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you saved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered Esau, look, I've made him a master over you. I've given him all of his relatives as his servants, and I've sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. His father Isaac answered him, Look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. This is nuts, isn't it? Jacob sneaks out just in time, but the jig is up. After the man with the weak eyes realizes that he's blessed the wrong son, he grows weak in the knees, right? He's trembling. What did, what did I do? Esau's devastated. Back at the end of chapter 25, we saw that Esau was a man who let his emotions dictate his actions. We're seeing more of that here. He throws a tantrum. He cries loudly and bitterly after finding out that Jacob stole the blessing from him, and he retorts that Jacob's name is, is fitting for him. If you remember from chapter 25, Jacob's name means he grasps the heel, right? Here Esau points out that Jacob cheated him twice, first with the birthright, now with the blessing. Essentially, Esau says, Jacob Jacobed me. How'd you like to have somebody use your name that way? Jacob Jacobed me. Isn't, he, isn't the name fitting for him? But let's remember that chapter 25 also tells us in fact, it ends by saying that Esau despised his birthright. He despised it. As much as he hates Jacob right now, it's clear from chapter 25 he didn't care that much more about his own birthright. He treated it like it was nothing. He traded it for a bowl of stew because he was so famished and he let his emotions dictate his actions. He was driven by his tummy and his taste buds. And now he's emotionally distraught. Listen, he's ugly crying here. Okay, And through his tears, he asks Isaac three times to bless him too. But the best Isaac can give him is an anti-blessing. It's not a curse, but there's no abundance whatsoever. It lacks the abundance of fertility and dominion. Verse 39 and 40, look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. All of this is exactly in line with what God told Rebekah while she was pregnant with Jacob and Esau. Genesis 25, 23, And the Lord said to her, 
Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. God's words and Isaac's words come together, and they they come true when Esau moves away from Jacob. We'll see that in in the upcoming chapters. And also then when Esau's descendants settle in the, the arid region southeast of the Dead Sea, an area that's, that's dry, that's away from the richness of the land and the dew of the sky above. Esau's descendants will become the nation of Edom. Jacob's descendants will become the nation of Israel. And the two nations will be constantly in conflict with one another. And Israel will dominate. One will rule the other. Israel, one will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Israel is going to dominate Edom but Edom is eventually going to rebel against Israel. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 8. But we're not done here, so let's keep reading. Look at verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him, and Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau had gone out to hunt some game and make a meal for his father so he could receive the blessing. Now he's left with a meal that his dad doesn't want and an anti-blessing that he doesn't want. And he decides he's going to make Jacob pay for it all. He's made up his mind. He's settled it in his heart. He's going to kill his brother like Cain killed Abel. And if you thought things were already messy, they're about to get even messier. Look at verse 42. When the words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she summoned her younger son Jacob and said to him, Listen, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides, until your brother's rage turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send for you and bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick of my life because of these Hethite girls. If Jacob marries someone from around here like these Hethite girls, what good is my life? This is the problem with telling lies. Once you tell one, you have to tell more to keep things going or everything crumbles. Isaac obviously found out that Jacob was lying to him, but it doesn't seem like he's aware that Rebekah was behind it too. And now that her older son wants to kill her younger son, she's got to get him out of there. But she's got to convince Isaac to send Jacob away, and she can't tell him that it's because Esau wants to kill him because that would let him in on the fact that she was in on it. She can't give away what she's done, and so she's got to come up with some other plan. Marital bliss, right? Rebecca knows how impulsive Esau is. She knows that there's real immediate danger for Jacob if he sticks around, but she also knows that Esau will forget. She knows he'll, he'll find something else to distract him, to focus on, and, and he'll forget about Jacob once he's had time to cool off. And so she tells Jacob to head to his uncle Laban's house, the house that she came from for a few days, and, and she's also got to get Isaac on board with it, though, and so she concocts this, uh, this other plan. Remember the verses that we started with in chapter 26? Esau married two Hethite women and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. That's the angle she plays here. 
in verse 46. She's, she's emphasizing the misery that Esau has brought them because of his wives, and she subtly but craftily implies that if Isaac lets Jacob do what Esau did, it'll only bring more bitterness on them and misery. So she puts the onus on Isaac. Listen, don't let our other son do it, what you let our older son do. So will Isaac take the bait? Look at chapter 28, verse 1. And so Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite girl. Go at once to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Marry one of the daughters of Laban, your, brother's, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob to Paddan Aram, to, to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to Paddan Aram to get a wife there. When he blessed him, Isaac commanded Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite girl. And Jacob listened to his father and mother and went to Paddan Aram. Esau realized that his father Isaac disapproved of the Canaanite women, so Esau went to Ishmael and married, in addition to his other wives, Mahalath, daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. She was the sister of Nebaioth. So Isaac's on board. He's on board with Rebekah. After all, she ended up as his wife because his own father had specifically forbid him not to marry a Canaanite woman. And even though Rebekah's main motive is to protect, uh, to protect Jacob from Esau, Jacob does still need a wife, especially if he's going to be the recipient of God's covenant promises of offspring and land and blessing. And that's what Verses 3 and 4 allude to here when Isaac blesses him a second time. He's already blessed him once when Jacob brought him the meal, and that blessing established Jacob as the one who would inherit Isaac's material wealth and, and uh, assume the patriarchal status in the family after Isaac died. This second blessing in verses 3 and 4 explicitly links then Jacob to the blessings of God's covenant with Abraham. Isaac even uses the name God Almighty, which is the name that God called himself in chapter 17 when he made these promises to Abraham. He said, I'll make you fruitful and multiply you greatly and make kings and nations come from you. And I'll give you the land of Canaan to you and to your descendants. I am God Almighty, he says that. And Isaac is drawing on that. By blessing Jacob this way, Isaac's saying, what God has promised to my father and to me may he also give to you. I want this for you, Jacob. And the story ends with a contrasting picture here. On the one hand, Jacob is obedient to his parents and he receives his father's approval. On the other hand, Esau realizes that he's done something that his father doesn't approve of. And so in an attempt to, to compete with his brother and to try to make things right with his father, Esau goes to Uncle Ishmael, Isaac's older brother, and he marries Ishmael's daughter, Mahalath. Now, Esau probably thinks that he can win his father's approval by marrying within the family. Surely a, a granddaughter of Abraham is better in Isaac's eyes than a Canaanite woman. But Esau is overlooking what God has already made clear. Ishmael is not the recipient of God's covenant and the promises that come with that. 
Just as God passed over Ishmael for Isaac, so too will he pass over Esau for Jacob. This whole thing is one gigantic mess, is it not? But it's an incredibly relatable mess, is it not? And that's exactly why it's in here. Listen, marital problems, sibling rivalry, selfishness, favoritism, backstabbing, deception, lying, anger, hatred, bitterness, fear, manipulation, redirection, disappointment. These things are not foreign to you and me. We can't just point them out in the characters in the story. We also need to be honest when we see these things in our own hearts. Everyone, everyone in this story fails miserably. Everyone in this story fails majorly in some way. Isaac selfishly wants a good meal from his favorite son, and he bribes him with the promise of a blessing in order to get it. Rebecca convinces her favorite son to cheat and steal. Jacob blasphemes God and flat out lies to his own father, and Esau hates his brother so much that he wants to kill him. Everyone in this story fails except for God. Everyone in this story fails except for God. Despite all the character flaws and all the corrupt circumstances, God's will was still accomplished. God chose Jacob over Esau before either of them were born, before either of them had done anything good or bad yet. God carried out his sovereign plan to carry on the covenant blessings and the promises through Jacob in spite of the fact that Isaac wanted to bless Esau, in spite of the fact that Rebekah talked Jacob into lying to his father and cheating his brother, in spite of the fact that Jacob sinfully and deceitfully took the blessing for himself, and in spite of the fact that Esau plotted to murder his own brother, God accomplished what he set out to do. God carries out his perfect plan through messy people in the midst of messy situations. Why? It's all he has to work with. It's all he has to work with. Ever since Adam and Eve rebelled in, against God in the Garden of Eden, sin has dominated, dominated the human heart. And sin makes things really messy, really quickly, but it's through the really messy family line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that God would bring the perfect one his own son, his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus entered into a gigantic mess when he came into this world. After Jesus was born, King Herod, who was a descendant of Esau, by the way, had every male child murdered from newborn to two years old in order to try to kill Jesus because the wise men came and told him that this is the king of the Jews and Herod thought he was the king of the Jews. But God protected his son. And as Jesus grew up, he did everything that pleased God. He was a perfectly obedient son who had the eternal blessing of the heavenly father. This is my son, God said, at least three times. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to him. He came to do the will of his father, and it was his father's will for his son to give his life as a ransom for sinners so that people from every nation could be adopted into God's family through faith in Christ and share in his blessing of eternal life. 
And God brought that blessing through the messiest moment in history when liars and cheaters and murderers nailed Jesus to the cross and crucified him. But God accomplished his will in spite of the flawed characters and corrupt circumstances because even though Jesus was perfectly sinless and innocent, he willingly laid down his life and rose from the grave so that guilty and messy people could be forgiven and made clean. Is that not the best news you've ever heard? Is your life a mess? Do you see yourself and Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau? Because of what Jesus has done, you can freely, listen, freely and unashamedly approach God the Father for blessing without anything in your hands, without pretending to be someone you're not. God is not fooled by our dishonest disguises. His eyes are perfectly fine. He's not blind to our sin. His eyes are not weak. He's, no amount of cover-up that we try to employ on the outside can keep him from seeing what's in our hearts. He knows all. He sees all. He is everywhere at all times, and he rules over all things. You are not going to fool him. But this is the beauty of the gospel, is that he sent his son for us because he knows what's in our hearts because he knows how messy we truly are. God put these real stories in the Bible to open our own sin-blinded eyes to his goodness and his grace toward us, even in the messiest of messes. And if you'll be honest about your sin, like the Bible is honest about your sin, and you put your trust in Jesus, then he will make you clean. This is the promise. Why not confess then your need for him? Why not turn from your sin today and trust him? And for those of us who've already experienced the blessing of forgiveness and salvation in Christ, it's stories like this that help us remember the grace that we've been given. Because of Christ, listen, we are a mess in progress. We're a mess in progress. He's cleansed us from the penalty of our sin, and now he's cleansing us from the power of the sin in our lives until he returns and cleanses us from sin's presence altogether. He's doing it. God is working it's stories like the one that we read today that keep our hearts tender to his mercy and grace so that we don't become calloused and critical of others when we see their mess. Can you love Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob in this story? If you can't, I think you're gonna be hard-pressed to love anybody else. Can you love them? Loving them doesn't mean that we approve of their sin. But it does mean that we remember that God is the redeemer of sinners. And to borrow Paul's words, and I am the worst of them. Right? Praise God that he entered my mess and brought me out. We should never give the impression that someone needs to clean up their mess before they can approach the throne of glory and find the grace that they need. We should never give the impression that someone needs to clean up their mess before they can approach God. Jesus is the reason that we can call 
on the Lord that we can come with all of our mess, bring the whole thing, the whole thing, and walk away with blessing. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were ugly and gross and messy, Christ died for us. Is that not the best news you have ever heard? No matter how bad we mess up our lives, we cannot mess up God's plans. Praise God. Praise God. He has proven that through Jesus Christ. Listen, only God can bless our mess. So let's be as honest about our sin as the Bible is, and let's help each other and those around us bring our mess to him. No disguises. Deal? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you that each one of us can come in all stages of messiness. We can come to you again and again and again. Be honest about what's going on, the things in our lives, and find grace to help us. We thank you that you are a God of mercy, that you gave us your son and all things with him. So we pray, Lord, that you would keep our hearts tender, that we would continue to remember your grace and your mercy, and that we would be instruments of that grace to others, inviting them, showing them how you're working in the midst of our mess, pleading with them to bring theirs to you. We love you and we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.